not sure if you are resolution makers or not. Most of the time, my New Year's resolution is I resolve not to make any more New Year's resolutions. But I do try to set some priorities down each and every year. When you get your next newsletter, you'll read a letter from me. Kind of a self, not really a self-imposed, but a surgery-imposed personal retreat where I had a chance to sit back and think about some goals for this next year, some priorities for this next year. It's an interesting process, and I'd ask you this evening to consider what are your priorities in life. What are your priorities for any given day? Maybe put another way, what is your first order of business besides getting out of bed and cleaning yourself up in the morning? Is it a cup of coffee? Or is it breakfast? Or is it to read the paper? Or is it to watch TV news? Or is it to pray? Or is it to read scripture or some devotional book? Or is it some sort of a combination of the entire thing? Let me share with you the priority of Jesus for his morning time. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he did what, you know? He prayed. Now, if Jesus needed to pray the first thing in the morning, what about us? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Or from Matthew 6, 33, a part of our text tonight, seek first the kingdom of God. If you don't always seek first God's kingdom to glorify and to honor God, if you do, you will not go very wrong in life. And there are three priorities I want to talk about tonight, if we call them 2010 priorities. I think that not only every Christian should have them, but I would commend them especially to you as your pastor, as I commend them to myself for this next year. They're all up there. I mean, you can write them down in any order you want to. It doesn't make any difference. They all start with W. And they're really not a, really what I would call, uh, they're kind of no-brainers, really, but things we ought to be about each and every year. The first of these is worship. In Hebrews chapter 10, 22 and 25, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He's talking about coming together to worship. But then he adds these words, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. I think it's pretty obvious from Scripture and common sense that we need to gather to worship the Lord. Worship really comes from a word that uh, part of it is worthy. Because he is worthy, we bring his worthship. We bring him worship. Now, the world calls us all the time to worship it. The world calls us to worship it, and it's... And we certainly don't need to help it out by advertising all of the all it has to offer. See, worship of the living God absolutely must be a priority in our lives. God is our creator. God is our sustainer. God is our savior. Put another way, 
One young kid told me one time, why do we worship? He said, because we owe him big time. He deserves our attendance. He he deserves our attention. He deserves our best worship in church, our best worship outside of church. I know that some people in our country are idle-struck. I mean, after all, look at the popularity of Dancing with the Stars or American Idol. I mean, there are some people that will set aside time more readily, more easily, more intently to watch those two shows than they ever would, it would seem, to find their way to church. They're idol-struck, meaning they get stuck on people. And we see in the world of entertainment, and sometimes we even see it in church. I, I remember a lady coming to, to me one time after a church service, and she said, You know, Pastor, I don't think I could ever get tired of listening to you preach. Well, I think she got over it. And uh, I told her, thank you, but it's not about me. It's about the Lord, and it's about Him only. Some of you may be familiar with Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a uh, baseball player at one time, and when he was converted to Christ, he became a a pretty well-known evangelist. And after he was converted, another Christian put his arm around his shoulder and said, Billy, there are three simple rules I can give you, and if you hold to them, no one will ever write backslider behind your name. He said, take 15 minutes a day to listen to God talking to you, Take 15 minutes every day to talk to God and take 15 minutes each day to talk to other people about God. Just think about that as a priority in your worship. To listen to God, to talk to God, and then talk to other people about God. See, talking to God and letting him talk to you is a matter of worship, which happens at home, it happens in church. I'm always amazed in a Bible class or in church, or sometimes in whatever I write, when I've said, you know, I heard God say to me the other day, how many times people will come up and they'll say, how does that happen? God never talks to me. And most often I always look at them and say, have you ever slowed down enough to listen? And you do. You need to listen to give God a chance. I think sometimes, even in my own prayers, it's like I want to get them over so fast and get on to what I consider to be important that I miss God going, whoa, 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 and I'm already gone. But to slow down a little bit. William Gladstone, a great preacher, said, Tell me what the young men of England are doing on a Sunday, and I will tell you what the future of England will be. Well, I think I could paraphrase that a little bit, and I'd say, You tell me what the people are doing every day and every Sunday. And I'll tell you what their future will be. See, if daily worship is part of our lives, then guess what? Sunday worship will also be a priority. Hebrews chapter 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I think that's a great priority for the new year, to worship God. Every day, And whenever God's people gather together. The second one is work. I heard this story not long ago. The boss said to John, How long have you been working here? 
And John said, ever since I heard you coming down the hallway. I mean, some people really need a lot of motivation to get them to work. It may be the boss keeping his eye on them. It may be the money. It may be shelter. It may be their children, so on. But everybody needs to work in some form. It's a shame, however, that it takes a lot to get some people moving in that direction. I also remember that old quote that said, I, one day I got up and I felt like going to work, but I laid down till the feeling went away. And I think God's people, though, should work hard. Uh, many of us that are here today were raised by parents who knew what hard work was all about. I learned very early that if I wanted to eat the strawberries in Grandma and Grandpa's strawberry patch, it meant getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and picking those strawberries. If you wanted to eat potatoes, it meant you went out there with that forky-looking thing and dig potatoes out of the ground. On the other hand, I, I've seen people who worked hard at their jobs, but when it came to the church, it was a different matter. Someone said it this way, the world is full of willing people, some willing to work and the rest willing to watch them and let them. In Romans 16, it says, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I came across this poem that talks about working in the church. It goes this way. He couldn't speak before a crowd. He couldn't teach a class. But when he came to Sunday school, he brought the folks en masse. He couldn't sing to save his life and public couldn't pray, but always his jalopy was just crammed on each Lord's day. And though he could not sing or speak, nor teach, nor lead in prayer, he listened well, he had a smile, and he was always there. With all the others whom he brought, who lived both near and far, and God's work prospered, for he had a consecrated car. Well, I don't know that he had a consecrated car. I think that man had a consecrated heart. And if the heart is right, the hands will always work. Now, what kind of work could you do for the Lord in 2010? I don't have an exhaustive list, but I wrote down a few things. I mean, you could help put up the church signs out front of the building. And even though Eddie Wood does a wonderful job of that, we might not want to rob him of that pleasure. You could certainly volunteer to do that from time to time. You could consider helping clean the building from time to time or teach a Sunday school class or work with the youth in Sunday school or youth meetings or whatever way or to play the piano or play the organ or some other musical instrument or sing with the praise team or sing with the choir or help with the handbells or provide special music or Help put up and take down Christmas decorations or contact absentee people. You know, the list could go on and on. There's no end to the work that God's people can do. Now, we don't do these things to serve the Lord because we want to be saved, but because we have been saved. Good service is evidence that something good has happened in our hearts and lives. Tommy, you know that passage. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, 
But you also know that next verse says, but there are those works which have been created for us to do in advance. And if we don't do them, who will? We all need to think about what we can do to serve the Lord in 2010. No Christian ever retires. I always need to remind myself to take that word out of my vocabulary. I do not intend ever to retire. Now, that may be a threat to some of you. It may be (laughs) not, but there will be some day where I will merely reposition myself. And all of us can be that way. We never retire from the Lord's service. We just reposition ourselves somewhere in his kingdom. Romans 12:11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So worship and work, and the last W is witness. You all know Matthew 28, 19 and 20. To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you even to the end of the age. Also in 1 Peter 3, it says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Several years ago in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, the Verizon uh, phone company flooded the mailboxes. They went door to door and they even handed out free ice cream as they were trying to sell their new fiber optic television, telephone, and internet, high-speed internet service. When I read that, I thought, man, can you believe that? A phone company went door to door, sent out mailers, and actually gave away free ice cream just to sell phone service. I wonder, what should we be doing as a church when we have the greatest product the greatest person of all time. What could we be doing? The pastor of a large church in Missouri went to see an advertising executive. His church had some marketing dollars left over at the end of the year, and he wondered what would be the most cost-effective way to use his advertising dollars. He wondered, should they invest it in television or radio or newspaper, or should they redo their entire website or what? The advertising executive paused and he said, I recommend that you construct a large billboard. And the answer was kind of surprising to the pastor, to the point of almost laughing at this guy. But he listened to him patiently and the executive said, build that billboard on your church property and face the message inward toward your parking lot. And the confused pastor suspected his question had been misunderstood. And the executive went on to explain, he said, you don't need advertising. In your church, members you have, what amounts to, in your church, the members you have amount to the largest sales force anybody could hire in town. Use the billboard to encourage your people to do what God has already called them to do. I think of our previous church. We had a hand-painted sign above the door when you walked in. It said, you are now entering a house of prayer. And when you walked out, it said, you are now entering the mission field. 
Robert Spears said, any man who has a religion is bound to do one of two things with it, either change it or spread it. If his religion isn't true, he should give it up. But if it is true, he should give it away. See, more than ever, we need to witness for Jesus Christ. We need to give away our faith to other people. We need to advertise and talk and invite and encourage in order to lead people to Jesus and to his church. See, if we're sold out, guess what? We ought to be selling. Acts 8, verse 4 says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. At the end of the benediction tonight, at the end of the last song, you're going to be scattered. Everywhere through the community. As close as Olive Street, down to the bottoms, all over the place. Way out to Tommy's Ranch. You're scattered all over the place. What do we do? We take the word with us wherever we go. When Dr. Criswell was pastor of the largest Southern Baptist church in the world at one time, he was preaching in Chicago, and he was entertained at the home of an elder at that, of that church. The elder's name was James L. Kraft. And James Kraft was the superintendent of the Sunday school and also the founder of Kraft Foods. Now, Kraft said that as a young man, he had a desire to be the most famous cheese salesman in the world. He planned on becoming rich and famous by making and selling cheese and began as a, a young boy with a little buggy that was pulled by a horse or a pony called Paddy. And he'd get up in the morning and he would make his cheese and he'd load his wagon and he and Patty would drive up and down the streets of Chicago to sell the cheese. And as the months passed, uh, the young boy began to despair because, quite honestly, he was not making any money at all in spite of his long hours and his hard work. But he told Dr. Criswell, one day I pulled the pony to a stop and I actually got out and began to talk to him. I said, Patty, there's something wrong. We're not doing it right. I'm afraid we have things turned around. Our priorities are not where they ought to be. Maybe we ought to serve God and place him first in our lives and then take care of the cheese business. And Kraft said he then drove home that day and made a covenant that for the rest of his life he would serve, first serve God and then only do as God directed but many years after this, Dr. Criswell heard James Kraft say these words, I'd rather be a layman in my church than to head the greatest corporation in America. My first job is serving Jesus. And friends, may that be our desire in 2010 as well, as together we worship and we work and we witness. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord Jesus Christ, giver and perfecter of our faith, we thank and praise you for continuing among us the preaching of your gospel for our instruction and edification. Send your blessing upon the word which has been spoken, and by your Holy Spirit increase our saving knowledge of you, that day by day we may be strengthened in the divine truth and remain steadfast in your grace. 
Give us strength to fight the good fight and by faith to overcome all the temptations of Satan, the flesh, and the world, so that we may finally receive the salvation of our souls. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.